While you're being seated, look at somebody and say, you are a genius. And then as you look at them, say, you're a genius because you sat by me today. Because today, right here's where the glory's gonna fall, right on me. Hallelujah. How many believe the glory of the Lord is going to fall in this place? Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 3, verse 5 and verse 7. And while you're turning there, let me remind you to be praying for Steve Seawright. His grandmother has passed away. He's our our production, uh, our media manager. We also, if we're going to go into prayer, we got a, a young lady that's having a seizure in our services and they're taking care of that. But let's pray for that right now in the name of Jesus. Father, right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray, God, for this uh, uh, this uh, dear sister of ours that's having a seizure. We pray that the Holy Spirit right now will begin to minister and that the Spirit of the living God will begin to take care of her right now, right where she's at, Father. Help those that are ministering to her, Father, have wisdom. And I ask you for the move of the Spirit of the living God to be upon this situation. God, let nothing hinder, bring healing to her, bring God deliverance to her in the name of Jesus Christ. And we ask your blessings and we ask your protection in Jesus' holy name. Can everybody give a glory praise here right now? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to make sure that everything's okay here. They got an ambulance, everything better? Okay, everybody's saying it's better now. Give the Lord praise for that. Hallelujah. We may have some medics come and get her, and if that happens, it's, it's okay, folks. So the, the Lord's taking care of her. She's got people there making sure that everything's okay. Let's try to draw our attention to the Lord this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Joshua, that, Joshua chapter 3, starting with verse 5. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And then verse 7. I want you to read verse 7. We're going to skip to it. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so will I also be with you. I'm going to ask one more time. I want to have prayer again over this service and uh, ask the Lord's grace and mercy to be with us. Brother Bill, would you do that for us, please? I can see now clearly, and I praise you, Lord. 
thank you, God. Be with our pastor and be with us, God, that we can come unto you, giving you due honor and praise and glory. And Lord, may our praise and our sacrifice of praise be acceptable in thy sight. In Jesus' name we pray. And all those that are being expressed. Amen. You know, over the past few months, there's been a transition and a, sh and a spiritual shifting taking place, not only among the body of Christ, but also in and among our nation spiritually. There has been a troubling in the hearts and the minds of the American people due to our economy, the direction our nation has taken, and the concern for the Middle East, especially that which is happening to Israel. Even sinners are beginning to think. Even sinners are beginning to think that the end is near. Sinners are even beginning to talk about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ themselves. There's a feeling in the air and an overwhelming, undeniable position of change taking place in the spirit realm. People are just now beginning to wake up to the madness that has taken place in our, nas our national's capital. There is beginning to be an intense hunger created for a return of the awareness of the presence of God in and over our land. After the turn of the century in the early 1900s, 80% of the nation was associated with connected to the church in attendance. At the turn of the 21st century, the year 2000, 20% of Americans were affiliated to the church in attendance. It's odd how that just in 100 years, how the shift has taken place, there are 60% less people associated with regular church attendance than there was in the 1900s. In the early 1900s, only 20% were not involved in church attendance. In the year 2000, only 20% are involved in church attendance. Think about what will happen if these statistics continually keep happening. Where will the church be in another 50 years? It will be totally gone. It will be non-existing. And even though these statistics is overwhelming, yet I believe that the shift is about to reverse again and that we're seeing a restoration of the church of Jesus Christ. I believe that with all of my If you believe that, give the Lord praise. <clears throat> Divine reversal is coming and it's happening even as I speak. As ORW says, Randy West says, uh, there's something moving, there's something changing, there's something shifting. He says that, but he says that under the authority of the anointing of God and I believe it. The highest level of the church attendance in the last 200 years in America, guess when it was? It was during the Great Depression. And now more and more people are beginning to think about returning back to the house of the Lord. There is beginning to be pockets of revival and renewal throughout America. And we could give examples after examples after examples, but two of the most noticeable and prominent movements that's getting all of attention right now in America is those of Mario Murillo and that of Sean Fute. Mario Murillo started out in California with a tent that would hold 200 people. He didn't know what would happen. He just went out into California in a certain town out in a field and put up a 200-seat tent and he's hoping, I hope I at least have 100 people. The first night, over 500 people showed up. So he knew that he had to get a bigger tent. They kind of run like that for a little bit. So he went out and got a tent that would seat 500. And then after he got that tent that would seat 500, 1,200 showed up. And then it just, and other masses began to come in. So finally, after a while, he got a big enough tent, a 1,000 people tent. And when he put the 1,000 tent up, seat tent up, 2,500 came, then 
500 came. Then 5,000 people came. And then all of a sudden he got it. Now this is in California, one of the most, uh, what they would call non-religious states uh, in America, along with New York. And then he got a, he got a real burden for New York, the state of New York. So he decided that he would just go into New York and, and he went and done some prep work and got some people behind him, some pastors behind him. And they went up in New York of October of this year and he took his tent and he set it up in the New York state area. New York's first night, over 3,000 people came out during a rainstorm and so many received Jesus Christ that they literally lost count. It is estimated that thousands and thousands of people could not even get in there and they had to turn hundreds of cars away and three main roads got gridlocked and blocked. Let me just stop right there just for a second and let's give honor to our sister who's having some problems right here. Would you just bow your head and pray as they begin to take her off and let's just believe that everything's going to be alright. We've got people praying with her and being with her. Father, again right now, Lord, we pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus that you give these medics, God, wisdom and God, we pray for the safety of this dear sister, Lord, and we pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will intervene and that you would begin to lift her up and spare, God, whatever's going on and to bring division in her life, Father, with sickness and illness. We pray your glory and your blessings and your favor upon her in the name of Jesus Christ, and we give you the honor and we give you the glory and we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now lift your hand and just praise the Lord and give an atmosphere of praise to him and honor to him in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We're going to go ahead and let the medics take care of that. But again, we see that the first night there were over 3,000 people that had came there to New York. And, the, and then they said that every possible parking place was taken. And it took hours upon hours to get all of the cars taken. And they had turned hundreds and hundreds of cars away. And three main roads became gridlocked and literally blocked. And they didn't even know how to get all the traffic out. And they said night after night after night, multiple thousands and thousands and thousands of people were not even able to get to that tent. Now, folks, you can say whatever you want to say, but that's revival. You can say whatever you want to say, but that's an awakening. For a man just to say, hey, I'm going to take a tent and I'm going to go to New York, do a little bit of prep work and making an announcement. I'm going to throw it up and all of a sudden thousands upon thousands of people begin to show up and there's so many saved that they can't even count them all and people are being born into the kingdom of God. I want to tell you, awaken is happening. It's happening in the most unlikely places. It's happening in California. Say California. It's happening in New York. Say New York. And it's happening in Popper Bluff, Missouri. Say Popper Bluff, Missouri. Do you believe that by the eye of faith? I tell you, it's already started here. You may not know it, but I don't know. I haven't hardly went a week this in the last few weeks uh, without praying somebody through, and we've had a lot of people born again as as we, we just had someone born again in Randy West's office uh, just a while ago. I'm here to tell you revival's happening. I'm here to tell you people are wanting to turn back to the Lord. Hell's trying to stop it. Hell's trying to distract it. Hell's trying to hinder it. But I got news for hell. It lost over 2,000 years ago when a man by the name of Jesus Christ went to the cross and spread himself out and gave himself up and said, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. I'm 
Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. Then you have Sean Pute. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right. I don't know why people have weird names. Amen. He's taken worship services into the major cities of America, and there's times he has thousands of people gather, and all they do is just worship in the streets of the major cities. And hundreds have been saved, and hundreds have been baptized. There are also churches in certain areas, even among COVID, that has begun to grow, and movement is beginning to take place within their services. It's odd, but even though there was a decline that took place in the last hundred years, and by the year 2000, over 60% of the church had fell away. And everybody says, where's that great falling away? It's happened in the last hundred years. Amen? We've not noticed it, but 60% of the church is no longer showing up on a regular basis. Yet something has happened after September the 11th, 2001, which is known as 911. A report came out right after 911 concerning a study of growth, church growth that took place right after that tragedy. It was reported that there were churches that had over 50% increase in their attendance after that event. In some places, churches tripled in their attendance just in a few days. And during that time, a survey was taken by the Pew Research Center on Religion and Public Health. And what they found that was amazing to me is that 79% at that time of American Christians believed in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And 34% believe that the world situations would worsen before he returned. It was also stated by a survey by Trinity College that during the years of 1990 to 2008 and 18 years span, there were steep declines experienced by all of the mainline churches, while non-denominational, charismatic, and Pentecostal churches grew steadily, especially even after 911. Identification survey found that in that time, attendance at mainline churches dropped from 32.8 million to 29.4 million. Meanwhile, attendance at Pentecostal churches and charismatic churches increased from 5.6 million to 7.9 million. Isn't it odd that there was a decline in the mainline denominational churches while the Pentecostal and charismatic churches had a continually steady of growth? This is because that people were wanting something real, something powerful, and something authentic. They wanted a God that they could feel. They wanted something lively. They wanted a God that they could experience and that they knew he was alive. And while your mainline churches were trying at that time to be a, appease the seeker sensitive movement and make all things relevant and more contemporary so they would like it, yet more and more in today's world I hear people longing to return back to Pentecost and return back to signs and wonders. How many is ready for that? More and more I hear people longing for an authentic move of God. There is a created hunger being formed in and among our nation, not only in the body of Christ, but also the nation itself feels it. There is a true awakening, a true manifestation of the presence of God is beginning to evade America. I want you to know that right now as I speak, I want you to understand that God is on the move. He's not dead. He's not elusive. He's not in hiding. He's not set up there being mad and judgmental. 
my God is ready to storm the gates of hell on our behalf and revival is coming whether you like it or whether you don't. I'm here to tell you that the awakening is at hand. The awakening is at hand. The awakening is at hand. Oh, I want you to believe it with me. Amen. Right now, as I speak, there are isolated places where there is, uh, there is a breaking forth of revival taking place. There is movement taking place where there is phenomenal growth that is happening to some of the churches in America. The problem of it is less than 3%, less than 3% of the churches is where the growth is actually happening. There seems to only be pockets or strategic places or isolated places where God begins to show up. And you know what? We've been talking about the remnant. That's the remnant. God has a remnant church. God has a people reserved that's going to start this awakening. While you can feel the depressed spirit of the times, yet you can feel in the air something is shifting, something is changing, something is about to happen. And while it appears that darkness is getting the upper hand, it looks that way, and it seems like that America is going into spiritual decay, but what all is taking place, you can really get depressed when you look at everything that's going on. Yet I believe that we're in store for one of the greatest awakenings of our time, and I believe we're about to experience the glory days. Well, I believe we're going to experience glory like this world has never seen. You may be thinking, well, what does this have to do with our text? It has everything to do with our text. First of all, let me say it's not the will of God for only 3% of the churches to have growth. God desires for all people everywhere to be saved. And he desires to manifest himself to every region, to every city, and to every church. How many believe that? If you believe that, that means you're believing that it's God's will to manifest himself himself right here at the palace of praise. Amen. One of the things in the survey that caught my attention was in the areas where sinners' attention was being focused on the church and where growth is taking place, talking about the growth now, there were three things common that were, that, that were factors in drawing the sinner where they had growth. Number one, there was economical collapse. Number two, there was a loss in the faith of government. And number three, there was a belief that we have entered in into the last days. Them were the three things that when they polled said, what's got your focus back? Them were the three things that come to the top. The, there was economical collapse. They lost their jobs, lost their money, lost their wealth. It got their attention. There was a loss in the faith of government to ever do anything about it. And there was a belief that we have entered into the end times. Now, what we all were crying about, rebuking and opposing and fighting against, it could have been that it turned out to be what's a blessing for America. No, none of us likes what's taking place, but I think it was needful in order for us to quit putting our, all of our stock in the, uh, in the government doing our job as a church. Come on, somebody. The evil men who have exploited the poor that has lied to the American people all under the name of due benevolence. Those that have supported abortion, defunding the police and crying out critical race three and pushing that down our children's throat, telling parents that they do not have the right to determine what their children are being taught. And they're calling innocent mothers that speak out at their speak out and speak their minds at school board meetings, domestic terrorism. And they're weaponizing the FBI and the Department of Justice to go after 
to those innocent, hardworking mothers and fathers because just because they disagree with the politics that's going on in Washington. While fathers get arrested, a father got arrested at a school board meeting due to his daughter being raped by a transgender, and he was all upset, and and the and the rape was totally covered up, and they denied that it ever even happened, only for them to send that transgender to another school, and he done it again, and then it was proven that everything that happened in the other school was real, and the cover-up was exposed, that even the school system was backing it and hiding it. Come on. It's bad when a mother can take a book out of the library and begin to start reading it at a school board meeting, and it's triple X material, and it's so 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 uh, open that they begin to get red and face. Ma'am, you cannot talk like that. She said, why not? She says, this book's in your library, and my kid brought it home, checked it out. You can't say those kinds of things. Why not? It's in. She just kept reading it and kept reading it, and it's stuff that would make a grown man blush. It's horrible. It was so bad I had to turn it off. I could not even hear the explicit language. I'm here to tell you those things are happening in America, and we're sitting here thinking, oh, Lord, what in the world's taking place? And then when pre- when uh, when pressured by Congress, we see that the Attorney General could tell you everything about the letter that was sent to the Department of Education telling them to go after these teachers. Yet when pressured by the Congress, he seemed not to have any reports or recognition of letters for investigating any of all any or any of the other terrorism taking place where the cities are being burned down and looting's taking place, stealing's taking murder in the streets, and there's not been one brought to justice. There's not even been any investigations. A father can get arrested at a board meeting for getting angry because his daughter was raped and get arrested when all this other stuff is going on and there's not even an investigation taking place. When pressured, the Attorney General, his words were, well, I don't recollect. I can't remember about these other things that's going on around the nation, uh, whether or not that they're investigating. He says, I don't recollect. I I can't remember. I've not been rebriefed on that. Well, that's confidential. I don't know. He seemed to not know absolutely anything. And when it was all done, the American people stood there scratching their heads, said, he's the eternal general of the United States. What in the world does he know? All he knows is to attack and go after innocent people that don't agree with their politics. You're saying, why are you preaching like this? You're becoming political. No, I'm not. I'm saving a nation by the preaching of the word of God. We got to have help. After the Congress had come down on the attorney general with all of their questions, Afterwards, he in his opening up. Afterwards, he said, "I'm opening up investigations against those senators, and all under the name of national terrorism because they bullied me." Can you imagine that weaponizing the judicial system to go after senators? God help us. However, this and more has caused a movement in the grassroots. People have had enough. I said, people have had enough. This movement is growing rapidly, and you can see the effects of it in the latest latest elections across America. However, I have a warning for us as a church. 
This is where the Holy Spirit really began to speak to me. Even as there is three common factors that was causing the sinner to be drawn back to the church, yet when it came to the church that is receiving that growth, there was also three common things that them churches had, all three of them, where the growth was going into. Number one, steadfast and continual prayer. Number two, personal spiritual hunger. And number three, consecration before God. Then were the three things that all three of those, all, all of three of those things was what was relevant in the churches that were drawing the masses. And one of the things that we have to keep in mind, and that is that the country is losing their faith within the government. Remember that. Therefore, the church cannot depend upon the government to do the work of the church. The government is not the preservation of this nation, folks. The believer is the preservation of this nation. We are salt. We are light. And the salt has lost its savor. When shall it be salted? Jesus said, who's going to do it if the dirt church don't stand up? Jesus has chose the church to win the world. Can I have an amen? It is the church just to bring light to the real enemy and expose the darkness that plagued the people and keep them in captivity. It is the church that is loose to change and to free the prisoner, heal the sick, cast out demons, set at liberty them that are bruised and to set the captives free. That's our call. That's our commission. And it's time that we rise up and we be the church of Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you the true body of the Lord Jesus Christ is not dead. It's not weak. It's not frail. It is a mighty force to be reckoned with. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. After 911, there was a similar movement that took place like that one, like the one that has taken place right now. However, that movement after 911 was short-lived due to the fallout because things seemed to get better and they went they just quit going back to church. How many seen that, those of you that's lived 911, a great flux in the church, and then it didn't last long, did it? And then it left. Our real problem in Dilemma was the way that we as a church view that fallout. We want to say, well, the people weren't repentive, and they just ran to the church because they were scared. Well, the truth of the matter was there's some truth in that. Yet we want to put the blame upon the people when we had a divine opportunity and we missed it. The church had a window of opportunity but lost it due to them not having the power to convict and to convert. The difference in the movement toward the church during the Great Depression was they had the ability to minister effectively and they kept those that came in during the Depression days. The church grew rapidly and so they sustained that growth. Unlike the growth of 911, the church failed. They lost their momentum. They lost their opportunity. And even as people are losing their faith in government, we cannot afford for them to try the church and lose their faith in the church. Because there's nowhere else for them to turn. Amen. The church's greater days are ahead of them. They're not behind us. Our greatest opportunities and our greatest moments lie in front of us. However, as people begin to uh, show interest in the church again, we cannot blow it like we did after 911. People flooded churches only for them to be wined and dined and stroked with a watered-down version of the gospel, and they were shown co compromised convictions and loose standards, and they tried to find what was relative and what the people liked, and they started to try to become more contemporary. The church had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. They were afraid to present a pure gospel because they were afraid of running people off, and it wouldn't be attractive to the people. We can 
cannot afford to make that same mistake again. The people are wanting to hear truth. The people are wanting something pure, something real, something authentic, something anointed. Can I have an amen? They're wanting something that is powerful, that brings forth life and hope and liberty. And you know what Jesus said? Know the truth and the truth shall set you free. They want to know, they want to hear somebody say it. The homosexuality is an abomination to God. They want to hear someone have enough guts to stand up and say transgender is wrong and changing your sex is out of divine order. Somebody needs to stand up and still proclaim sex before marriage is sin. They want to know that there is a hell and that hell is real. They want to know that there's real devils and demons and principalities and powers of darkness. And I want you to know they want to know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man gets to the Father except through him. Hey! Well, Holy Ghost, have your way. We might as well have a breakout right now. Hallelujah. It might as well start right now, the awakening. Let the dead bones begin to rattle. Let the death rattle go away. Let breath come in to the tomb. Can I have an amen? These are like the days of Hezekiah. Isaiah 37 and 3, it says, And they said unto him, This saith Hezekiah, The day is a day of trouble. It's a day of rebuke. It's a day of blasphemy. For the children are come to birth, but there's not enough strength to bring forth. These are truly the days of trouble. Rebuke. It's God's chastening that's taking place. Correction rod is coming. It's a day of blasphemy. Look at what the world is doing. They're shaking their fists in the face of God. They're the ones that's mocking God. They're playing God. Come on, somebody. These are some dangerous, hideous, perilous, troubled times. Yet Hezekiah says, these are the day that children should be brought forth to birth. In other words, these are the days that people are to be being born again. Are you listening to me? But the problem is there's not enough strength. This was the church during 911. They didn't have what it took to bring people into a born again experience. The will of God, the desire of God, the call of the church was aborted during that time by the church, by them not being ready for their challenge. But I want to ask you a question. Are we ready for the challenge today? Because what happened at 911 of the flux of people coming, it's about to repeat itself. Are we ready? We cannot afford to lose this last day opportunity. We have to be ready. We have to be the remnant church that has the ability to perform the will of God in heaven upon the earth. And we will not be able to do that unless we sanctify and consecrate ourselves before God. We have to be set apart from the rest. We have to be there to be different. Amen? We have to have enough courage to be real, to be authentic, and not to follow the status quo and follow the latest fads and do what everybody else is doing. We cannot follow the spirit of this age. 
We may be mocked. We may be ridiculed. We may be made fun of. We may be falsely accused. But the remnant will always be the one that's tucked away, and they will be different. They'll be odd. They'll be unusual. They'll be strange. Everybody in the city won't like them. The religious bunch won't. The Pharisees, the scribes, and all them won't like us. But we'll be the ones that will flow in the anointing and turn our world upside down. Can I have an amen? Joshua said in our text, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. Did you hear that? That's a word for us. Sanctify yourself, O palace of praise. Set yourself apart. Die out to yourself, which is a process. A lot of times we come down here and we repent. We say our little prayers and we get, okay, I've done all my repenting. I want to tell you, repentance sometimes is not just an event. Sometimes it is a process because you begin to repent. And the more you get into it, the deeper the spirit moves upon you. And the more it, you can't just die out to everything over one altar experience. It's impossible. Go ask Jacob. He wrestled all night with an angel of the Lord until the angel of the Lord touched the hollow of his, hollow of his thigh. And then he wasn't, he didn't get up until he was changed, until his walk changed. From that day forward, he walked with a limp. Everywhere you seen, that's old Jacob. And every time he had that limp, it was a signifying of a testimony. That man is changed of God. His walk has changed. Can I have an amen? And we need to consecrate ourselves. This body has got to get serious within the next month or so to really get down, bear down, and begin to consecrate themselves individually and corporately before God. Because God says, oh, palace, when you begin to consecrate and sanctify yourself, I'll show you wonders on the next day. I'm going to show you wonders the next. We're already beginning to see some wonders. That means there is consecration taking place in the camp of the church. Hallelujah. Can you give the Lord praise for that? Notice that the people are not commanded to work on image or to become more creative, to be more relative, but they're called to sanctification. They are called to prepare their hearts. Consecration and sanctification always precedes revival and renewal. God will not take the children of Israel over into their promised land until they concentrate themselves before God. And can I honestly say there's so much pressure upon us as church leaders? Be more creative. Be more relevant. You got to, and, and, and man, you're just bombarding, trying to win people. And all this stuff is, all these pressures to become all things to all men. I stop this day. And say, all I need to do is concentrate myself before God and be anointed. God will take care of the rest. I don't have to be relevant. I don't have to be creative. I don't have to be a genius and put up all these big visions and put up maps and begin to show and do all. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just here to tell you that it's time that we take pressure off of one another and quit trying to make everybody be some kind of a, a big creative giant that is relative, that's able to be charismatic and be able to, with smoothing words, begin to draw people. You know what you're describing? You're describing the Antichrist. That's what people are looking for. Well, I got news for them. They're not going to find the Antichrist spirit among the palace of praise. They're going to find the anointing that breaks yokes among the palace of praise. Can I have an amen? 
Even though God delivered, Egypt, delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, he never got Egypt out of the children of Israel. So they had to sanctify themselves before they could go over into the land. Salvation freed them from Egypt, but sanctification prepared them for the promise. Can I have an amen? Being delivered from Egypt represents salvation. Being delivered from the world, the word Egypt means worldly. Crossing the Jordan represents sanctification. And that's what Ephesians 5.26 says, that he might sanctify them by the washing of the water of the word. There's a washing process that God wants to do after you're saved. Setting you apart where you're dying out, where you're learning how to walk in the spirit. Going in the promised land of Canaan represented the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It represented receiving the promise. In order for them to operate in the spirit and see the wonders that they are to perform, then they had to sanctify and consecrate before God because no flesh shall glory in his presence. The carnal mind had to be dealt with. The fleshly behavior had to be corrected. The worldly notions had to be resolved and the spiritual mind had to be transformed and be, in, be the one that governed. Folks, to ha to, folks we have to be spiritual we have to have the Holy Ghost. Can I have an amen? The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, neither can they know him because they're spiritually discerned. It was Paul that said the carnal mind is an enmity at war against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. It can't be subject to the laws of God because it don't understand the laws of God. It's contrary. The natural mind is the, 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 the carnal minds. It's not subject to any of the laws of God. It can't be. It don't understand them. You cannot receive the spiritual results without having a spiritual mind, which can only come as one sets themselves apart through the act of sanctification and through the act of consecrating themselves before God. In order to do spiritual exports, there has to be a spirit that's in operation among us. The difference between the Egyptian enemy and the enemies of Canaan was the position of Israel. Watch this. Israel was constantly fleeing and running from Egypt. The word means worldliness, which represents fighting worldly things, inner conflicts, weaknesses, strongholds, fleshly activity. They were constantly fleeing from that. But now God wants to reposition them, and they were no longer to run. They were to consecrate themselves and rise and go over, possess the land, and begin to fight. They're no longer going to run. They're going to learn how to do spiritual warfare. The church has been on the run too long. Messing with fleshly activity and never overcoming it. Wallering in the same old stuff for 40 years. Well, when I was a kid, this you're 50 years old and what was done as a kid, you should have had that worked out. Come on, I'm not trying to be mean. But there's some people that keep using all these excuses that happened to them 12 years ago, five years, get over it. Get delivered. You say, well, that's easy. No, there's deliverance in the, in the power of Jesus Christ. I'm tired of people not finding deliverance. I tell you what the lack of deliverance is. It's a lack of concentration before God. Can I have, we can make all the excuses that we want, but God's tired of the church being on the run all the time, fighting the same old stuff, fighting the same old fights, fighting flesh, fighting hatred, fighting bigotry, fighting jealousy, fighting strife. Come on, somebody. Same old stuff over and over and over. You get so sick of hearing it from the same old people because they never learn how to grow and mature in the faith. I want to tell everybody here, you do not have to be a format to the enemy. You are a child of God. Rise up and be one in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Be victorious in Jesus. I don't mean you won't make mistakes. It won't mean that you're, it mean you're glorified or you're perfect. But what it does mean when you stump your toe and fall down and make a mess of things, you'll just get back up and shove it off. Ah, forgive me, God, and go on. God wants to reposition them. They were no longer to run. They were to consecrate themselves, arise, go over and learn how to fight. That when's the church going to learn how to tear down strongholds among their region? Amen? When's, when, when are we going to take authority over our region? When are we going to learn how, what spiritual warfare is like? What it's about? Instead of being pursued, always on the run, they were to do the pursuing. I tell you what, I learned something a long time ago when I was a little bitty boy. My daddy told me this. I was being robbed at a little old house in the middle of the woods. It was house was tore down, and there were uh, blackberries everywhere around that old house. And an old man was giving me two dollars for a gallon of blackberries. Don't ever try to make money picking blackberries. But I'd go down there and I'd start to pack, pick them blackberries. And there were all kinds of what they call blue racer snakes. Have you ever heard of them? I'd be picking, I'd look down there to that snake and I'd take off running, that snake would chase me. They'd chase you, man. I come home, I said, Daddy, I found me a jackpot. Jack, John Daniels is going to give me $2 a gallon for blackberries. And there is a bunch of these blue looking snakes. He said, Son, that's a blue racer. And I said, well, why does that got to do anything? He said, when they start chasing you, just stop and look at them, start chasing them back and see what happens. I said, are you nuts? He said, no. And that old serpent had me running all along, scared to death of that snake because it chased. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So one day I was picking them blackberries and here come that snake and I took off running and the words of my daddy were in my head. And I saw Kit Miller, don't be a coward. And I just stopped. When I stopped, it just kept coming. So I ran a little more. <laughs> just stopping and trying to intimidate it didn't work. You had to put actions behind it. We come in here and the serpent has us on the run all week long. Chasing us and we're afraid and we're dealing with all this stronghold business. All this fleshly stuff. Come on. And we're running and we're running and running and we stop and we pause and we go through our worship and here comes a snake and we pause and we think, well, if we pause and stand our ground, he'll go, he just keeps chasing and we just get scared and we get all wrapped up in our emotions and we, and we then begin to respond and then we begin to react to those things that is, he's throwing at us through fear. And that day, one day, I said, I can't make no money if I can't pick no blackberries. And I got mad so I found me a machete. Let that sucker come now. And I put that machete behind me and on a strap. And this snake started coming out after me. There's a bunch of them down there. And it started chasing me and I trying to pull it. And that machete wouldn't come off my belt buckle. And them words of my daddy kept saying, you don't need a machete, I, you just chase it. So I stopped and I looked at it and I took about four or five steps like that. What I did, it took off running from me. And I just kept on chasing. 
Man, I felt like I felt like that then Kent Miller had conquered. Just don't do a copperhead that way. <laughs> Amen. But I'm here to tell you, oh, the old devil has already had his veins pulled. His poison's gone. Can I have an amen? The only threat is the fear itself of him. And he comes in here. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. And I'm here to tell you it's time that the church quit being the pursuing or the pursue, uh, being pursued and be the pursuer. It's time that we take a fight to them. It's time that we stand up and say, no, we don't accept that in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You are whipped. You are a, 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 you are a defeated foe. And from this day forward, I am in charge and not you of my life. Can I have an amen? We are to consecrate ourselves and rise and go over and possess the land instead of being pursued always on the road. We got to be the pursuer. The power of the God would begin to work through them the way that God worked through the early church after they begin to put it into action. The signs and the wonders would be performed by them as God anointed them. As a matter of fact, they never faced giants until they went over into Canaan. Have you ever thought about that? There weren't no giants in Egypt. Giants weren't until they got filled with a promise. They go from pursuing from Egypt to fighting giants over in Canaan overnight. Joshua said, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. I'm going to show you mighty things that you've not known of. No sanctification means no wonders. And the bottom line is this. If we don't deal with our sin nature, our weaknesses, our mindsets, our flesh, it will stifle us and stop us from going into our promise. It'll stop the awakening from happening in the, our church. The hidden lust, the covered up sin, all that stuff. The disobedience, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, the jealousy, the unfaithfulness. All that stuff, it's hid. It ain't hit to God. The criticalness and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, you got to tell somebody they got to get rid of their critical spirit or it's going to destroy them. And it's somebody that's strong in the faith. I don't know who you are. It's a rhema word for somebody. And God says that to be critical means that no one meets your expectation and you have become self-righteous and too arrogant and too, you're too big for your britches. And he said, you got to tell them to obey themselves and humble themselves and consecrate before me or they're going to be destroyed by their critical spirit. We don't even pay attention to that kind of stuff. Come on. But all this stuff will cause you to always be running for the rest of your life you will not possess your promise and you'll not overcome your enemies. You will not find rest. You'll not find fulfillment. You'll not find purpose. And you know what? You'll never find the land that flows with milk and honey. Notice Israel had to run, flee, resist, avoid Egypt, which means worldliness. Now that, that's symbolic to us because we are to abstain from all of the appearances of evil. Run from it. Avoid it. But all the other influences that they had to come against after they crossed the promise into the promised land they had to take charge of and conquer. There are seven influences that they faced going into Canaan. They ran from one, worldliness, but the rest of the six, they had to fight and conquer. They had to war against it. They had to know how to fight. You know what they were? The Amorites. Their names mean pride. How many is dealing with pride? Philistines, which means roamers, instability. How many is dealing with double-mindedness, insecurities? Come on, low self-esteem, roller coaster rides, Moabites, which means failure or defeat. How many find themselves constantly failing, constantly being defeated? 
The Zidonians, their names mean the trust in the works of their own hands. How many begin to put more trust in their own ability, their own talent, their own charisma than they are having a life of consecration before God and allowing God to truly anoint them and them not operate in their charisma? Ooh, Ammon, name means lust. Amalekites means the despisers of those that do good. Now you would think that they would have stuff like Amorites meaning pornography, Philistines meaning drunkenness. No, no, we, we focus on all the wrong stuff. How many of us focus on pride? Being instability, failure, defeat, trust in the works of our own hand, lust, despises those that are good. Them are big influences. It's robbing the church from becoming the church that needs, that needs to be able to rise and learn how to spiritual war against this stuff. It's time that we rise and that we conquer. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. We're about to see one of the greatest outpourings of God's spirits that we've ever seen before in our lives. I remember my vision. I seen it vaguely when I was standing right out there in that foyer and I looked out that window and I seen all those people before anything was built out there or anything. Just an old raw piece of ground, red clay where they had knocked down the hills and tore down the trees and it looked like a bomb had hit out there. There's not one building out there and the Lord showed me all this masses of people coming over the hill. Now I know it's symbolic and, and, and I've told this story I don't know how many times. You remember the old commercial where the guy's got his phone in his hand and all those multiple thousands of people behind him? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? That's what it looked like, just thousands of people. And I looked out there and I said, Lord, and I felt in my spirit that something bad had happened. And these people were scared and these people were on a mission and they were running and, and they, were, they, they were looking and they were in search for refuge. I mean, these people were intense on their faces. And I said, Lord, what? What in the world's taking place? What's happening? He never told me what happened. But I said, well, where are they going? He said, they're coming to the church. I don't mean all those thousands come to this church, but it means they're going to church. They're looking for a church. I went and finally told that. I think one of the first I told to was my wife and a few other people. Finally, I told Randy West about it, and Randy started weeping. Randy said, well, can I tell you a vision God showed me? And I said, what was it? And he said, the church was so full, so jam-packed. You were up on the platform. People were everywhere. People were trying to get into the church and said, out in the foyer, they were having a hard time because we were trying to pass out Bibles and we'd rent out of Bibles. The people wanted the word. They wanted the word. And that's what I'm telling you. This last day generation don't want to water down. They want the word of God. They want truth. They don't want you to patronize them and tell them what they want to hear. They're, they don't want somebody to, oh, they may appear to be that way, but only truth sets free. And I don't remember everything. Randy can tell you the story one day, but he said, Pastor, I just felt like that we were, we were getting Bibles and we were getting the, the packing, had parts of the word, and they were fighting just to get a sheet of the word of God. And he, said, we, he said, it showed me that we were not prepared for what's about to come. We could not get all the word of God into the people that God wanted us to get the word into. And so we've been praying about that. That's, that's been years ago. Been praying about it and praying about it and asking God, prepare us. How, how do we get ready? And now all of a sudden I feel this urgency that we're right there at the threshold about this about to happen. That something's moving and shaking in our country. As you all know, I'm in a 
many different prayer groups, but one of my prayer groups involved six of us men. This last Monday night, we were praying. And before we prayed, we always do something different as the Lord directs us. I wanted to find out how much in unison, how, how much unity we were in. Because a lot of times I'll say, hey, brother, what's, so and so, what's the Lord speaking to you? And he'll say, this is what the Lord's speaking to me. And everybody, oh, man, that's what the Lord's, oh, man, that's what the Lord. And it seemed like we were always, always on the same page. God was showing us all the same thing. And so I started with the first guy. I'm not going to mention their names because I haven't asked them for permission. But I said, ask the first guy, what, what, what's on your mind? What's the Lord speaking? And he said, man, I want to tell you the Lord's speaking repentance to me. I'm talking about dying out. I'm talking about going and agonizing before God. I'm talking about not only repentance, but just, just letting God work in us and just us dying out and praying over the, our sins and our flesh and letting him reveal things and just getting down and going through a season of consecration, going through a season of repentance, cleansing our, our lives. He said, then praying over the nation and asking God to forgive us and start calling out the sins of the nation. And ask God to forgive us of those sins as a nation and repent for our nation. And then he's, you know, and he just kept talking. It was so evident that it was in his heart. And I thought, well, man, that ain't what God's been speaking to me right now. And so I went for, for that night. And so I asked the other guy, I said, well, what's God speaking to you? And he said, man, the Lord's been speaking to me about the love of God. Said to, for me to understand God's love for me and for me to be able to love God the way I'm supposed to love God. And he said, everything hinges on, on the love of God. I offer my body to be burned. And if I have the tongues of angels and the tongues of men, if I don't have that love, what does it profit me? Nothing. And it's all about the love of God. So I went to the third guy. I said, what's God speaking to you? And he said, man, God's been speaking to me about the will of God, knowing the will of God. You can't do nothing. And you can't even have your prayers answered unless you pray his will. And he said, I'm praying over the election and I was rebuking and I was, I was declaring, I was decreeing, I was doing all this stuff and I found out that evidently I didn't know God's will and I don't ever want to do that again. I want to know the will of God. I don't want to waste my time. I want to be like the men of Ishkar, knowing the signs of time and knowing what God's will is. And then I went to the next guy and I said, what, what, what's God speaking to you? He said, oh, it's all about location. It's all about positioning. It's all about the believer being in the right place and fulfilling his, his, God, his God called duty. And, and, and he's talked about position and he talked about being at the right place and, and being that remnant that's lifted up in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, knowing your authority, knowing, your, knowing that you have authority and you have dominion and that you, who you are and understanding your purpose. Thought, wow, man, we're all over the board tonight. I looked at it as a negative in my mind at first. Then I went to the last guy. I said, what's God speaking to you? Oh, it's all about apostolic anointing. It's about actually, you know, being real and authentic to where signs and wonders and miracles can be worked to us. We're not seeing that in America hardly anywhere. And third world countries are seeing it. And, and, you know, and this is what God, I just feel like God wants us to be real around here. And the, what the Lord spoke to me to share with the people that night was exercise. Exercise your faith. And I told him about it. So then I went to the guy that said, you're the one that want, has got repentance in your heart. Would you pray for us and lead us in repentance? I don't think Mike will care. You don't care. Mike began to pray and you can feel the burden of his heart and the brokenness in him. And he wept and he cried 
And he prayed over the church. He prayed over himself. He prayed over us. He led us in repentance. I went to the next guy. And I said, you're the one who has the love of God in your heart. It was Wade Kavnis. Wade began to pray about the love of God and to make it strong. I went to uh, Greg Ziegler, who was the will of God. Then I went to Joseph, who was praying over the position. And he prayed, and, and beautiful praying. Some of it was in his native tongue, African. And then we went to Craig Reynolds, and Craig was praying over the apostolic anointing. And then it hit me, and it hit some of the other guys at the exact same time. God was speaking to us. And this is what he said. When you learn how to concentrate yourself before God and you learn how to die out and then you understand my love for you and your love for me, then you come to know my will. And then when you know my will, you can position yourself. And when you position yourself, the exploits and the calling and the mandate and the anointing and the mantle, the apostolic will come upon you. And then when that comes upon you, you got to learn how to step out and start exercising it. With a visual in a prayer meeting, God gave divine direction to our church. I want you to stand with me, please. I received a prophecy, a prophetic word. I received it on June the 30th, 2009. I don't think that I've ever shared it. I might have. I don't remember doing it. But I've kept it because it was very dear to me and I believed in it. This was 12 years ago, June the 30th. Listen to what it says. To the church of Popper Bluff, seasons of war, wisdom, and revelation. I had a vision and it was all like a great cloud being unfolded of many colors of the glory of God and it is about to begin to sweep over the region around Popper Bluff. And the Lord said, I will restrain the powers of darkness if you're willing to hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gates. There's going to be a, dem a demarcation made, says God, between good and evil, and it will begin here, says the Lord. And the Lord says that he's going to cause this region to rise up in the spirit and this region will be known as a people of great authority and this region is the epicenter of the anointing with power going forth releasing the sound of war, wisdom, and revelation that will change a nation. And the Lord said, I will bring forth righteousness and justice in a way that is never seen before in a greater way than you can ever even imagine. I will bring justice where there has been injustice and righteousness where there's been wickedness. And God says, I am shifting and changing. I am changing and those that will not change will not and will not heed my voice will have a change of address for they are not going to stay in the office they think that, that they occupy for the Lord. I will not allow them to occupy them illegally, saith the Lord. God, he says to me, wants to cause a great awakening to come to this region he wants you to do it, make it happen, just do it. I'm ready for it. Look at this place. There's at least 600 people here this morning. 
And everybody wants to say, oh, wow, that's one of the biggest churches in Papa Bluff. It ain't about numbers. It ain't about being the biggest church. It's been about being a real church. As a pastor, I release the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon you to be men and women of God. As a pastor, I'll call you to consecration, sanctification, and dedication before your God. I ask you to repent. Not just one time, not just two times, but get in a season of reckoning with God where you die out to stuff. Jacob wrestled for a long time before he got the touch of God to take away all the things that hindered him and opposed him. Get rid of carnality. Get rid of flesh. Get rid of yourself. Know the love of God over your life. Operate in the will of God. Take your position. Be apostolic and start exercising your faith. Start exercising your faith in Jesus' name. More and more, we're beginning to see breakthroughs, rays of light, where people are beginning to be healed, people are beginning to be touched. We're seeing a lot of conversions right now. Can you give the Lord praise for that? That's the beginning. That's the beginning. There's strength to bring forth in a time of darkness. However, there's going to be great, great opposition. Don't be afraid of it. Don't run from your serpent. Charge it in the name of Jesus. Charge it. Fight it. Oppose it. I'm going to ask you this morning, those of you that's with me and you're believing before the first of the year that there's going to be some real shifting take place. Now, this, this repentance, I don't know how long it's going to go. The, the sanctification, this man just praying your heart out before the Lord. And you pray about other things. Pray for the awakening. Pray for God to begin to give you up. And then when God begins to speak to you and you have thoughts in your mind, start exercising your faith. Let yourself... Let yourself fail trying to do something good instead of fail by not doing nothing at all. Amen? No one's going to criticize you for trying. No one's going to criticize you from trying to operate in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Exercise your faith. Operate in your God-given ability and anointing. Don't be crazy. Don't be eccentric. Don't be goofy. Everything that comes to your mind, oh, that's the Spirit of God. No, learn the voice of God, the will of God. Operate out of that will and that love, and that consecration. And we're going to see mighty things that such you and I have never seen before. If Mario Marilla can put up a tent and draw a thousand, what can a building like this draw? Come on. Amen. I know it's Sunday morning. I know you got a lot to do, but would you just come and let's set our face to consecrate just for a moment before the Lord. Would you do that with me? This is serious. Brokenness. Pray over the sins of our nation. Would you do that? Mike, I don't know if you feel like you've been ill. Can, can you pray the repentance again like you did the other night? You feel up? Sure. Father, we thank you this morning, God, for your love and for your mercy and thankful for this wonderful message that's touched our hearts and stirred us this morning, God. And Father, we want to be about the Lord's business this morning, God. And as we assemble together, Lord, in this place of worship, we just ask you, God, to have mercy upon us this morning, God. 
God, individually and corporately, we just pray for the Spirit of God just to come and saturate us this morning. Father, we cry out to you today, God, for mercy and for your grace that you would just let your love just begin to flow through every individual here today, God. Lord, we pray for our lackadaisiness and the things that we have failed you in. And God, the things that's in America that's going on in our nations, God. God, we repent. You said of my people, which are called by my name. We are your people, God. You're the shepherd. And we're the sheep this morning, God. Holy Ghost, we need you today more than ever, God. Father, I pray as our world is changing and things is transpiring this morning all around us, I pray that we'll be that true remnant, God. God, that we'll be that true people that you want, God, that you need, God, for this last day movement, God. You've called us here today for such a time as this. And God, we put ourselves at the altar of God this morning. We cry out to you for the blood to be applied, God. Cleanse us from all filthiness of the flesh, from every sin, every wrongdoing, for every evil thoughts, for the things that's displeasing to you, God. Forgive us for not praying enough for our nation, God, and it being what it is today. Father, forgive us for allowing millions of babies to be aborted each day. In years, God, I, I pray, God, for, Lord, for mercy from the throne of heaven today, God. Lord, I pray for mercy from the throne of heaven, God. God, I pray that you would just come and minister, Lord, and forgive us of the things that is so wrong, God, in this world. And have mercy upon us, God. Let us begin to be the church that will rise, God. And Lord, let us begin to be that body of people that will call out upon the name of Jesus. God, I know that we're not perfect by any means, but we want to be perfect in your eyes, God. And Lord, long as we're perfect in your eyes, Lord, I pray that you'll just continue to bless the church. God, not just this church in this building right now, but the church across the great America and across the world today, God. Lord, as body of believers everywhere this morning are praying and crying out to you, I just pray across the world that there's a crying out for more of you this morning, God. And for the Holy Ghost just to come and saturate us. God, allow us today, this morning, God, to put aside every weight and every sin, God, that weighs us down. And Holy Ghost, I pray for mercy today. I pray, God, that you just come and move in a mighty way. God, you know each and all of our sins. You know the things that we lack in, the things that we fail you in. Forgive us for not being the church that we should be in this 21st century, God. And help us to arise to the occasion, God. I pray, Lord, for mercy from the throne room of heaven this morning, God. I pray, God, as Pastor says, Lord, that we should be chasing devils and not devils chasing us this morning. And I pray, God, that we'll rise up in the boldness of Christ. Lord, you said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, you said that you've got a great church and that your church won't be defeated, God, and it won't be. 
when men and women pray and confess their sins and cry out to you. So here we are today, God, in this place, at this time, crying for mercy from the throne room of heaven this morning. Look up on your church. Bless it this morning, God. God, lift it up this morning, God. God, lift it up like never before, God, as we cry out, as we ask for mercy from heaven and forgiveness. We pray that your church will arise and become the church that you've intended to be in this 21st century, and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name. Could you give me, give the Lord a good hand clap of praise this morning? Amen. He's a God that forgives. 